Hey, I'm Dr. Judy, and welcome to Supercharged Life, where I help you discover new ways to create success, wellness, and fulfillment, and give you tangible tools to supercharge your life. Today's Supercharged Secret is all about getting in touch with your true self and having a self-concept that is built from within. True self is such an important contributor to well-being. People talk about finding their true selves or the process of discovering who they really are. And folk wisdom says, just be yourself. But what does that even mean? Well, here's what's amazing, guys. If you know your true self and have your self-esteem come from within, instead of being at the whim of outside forces, it serves as a crucial source of meaning in your life. It can help heal you, process past traumas and hurts, and live a life that is truly worth living, where your moods, actions, and self-concept are not dependent on what's happening on any given day or what someone says to you. Doesn't that sound amazing? Coming to deeper realization of who you are beneath the veneer of social trappings is what gives you authentic purpose. And authentic self-expression that isn't bound in someone else's rules or expectations of you is so helpful because that's when you know what your true values are, what is worthwhile and what's not, and get out of this rut of living in an existential vacuum. I have just the guest to talk to us about this concept. He is so successful in so many different ways, but he really had to learn how to embrace himself, have self-compassion and discover his true self and finally start to heal some of his deeper traumas. I can't wait for all of you guys to get to know Lecrae today. Everybody, I am so excited about my guest today. He is a two-time Grammy Award-winning hip-hop artist, songwriter, music executive, actor, social activist, entrepreneur, and president, co-owner, and co-founder of Reach Records. He is the first artist to have an album debut at number one on both the pop and gospel charts. And I was so excited to talk to him because the second book, I Am Restored, How I Lost My Religion But Found My Faith, is a never told before story of his struggle with religion and how he came on the other side healed and healing and telling everybody about his amazing story. And along with this new album, his book, Restoration, and a three-part video series, this is going to be a full package of how he's discovering his faith and his true self, healing the deep wounds of his past, and still being able to live authentically, even as he continues to shine in the spotlight. So please welcome the amazing and talented Lecrae! <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Wow. Well, I'm very, very pumped to talk to you for so many reasons. And it's hard to know where you start. You, you have achieved so much in your life already, but I know that that's not the whole story. And I know that sometimes that achievement has actually made you feel like you really couldn't be who you were because of all of the pressure people were putting upon you because you were this role model for everyone. And you felt like you always had to look like you were okay. So when did that start to feel stressful for you? Like, you know what, this isn't right. You know, I, I can't, I don't feel free to express who I am. Oh my goodness. Um, you know, that's, that's funny because it's, it's something that I learned 
And I, and I didn't know that I didn't feel free to express who I was. As a matter of fact, I thought it was a virtue and not a vice, you know? So I grew up thinking that being able to mask who you really were in order to fit in was a skill, was a tactic and, um, and, and suppressing your true self and your true emotions and what you're truly feeling and experiencing, um, was a skill set. And, uh, I didn't know that. Um, and so I, I don't think it really fleshed itself out until around, um, 2016, when I felt the pressure, when it was, when I wanted to talk about issues of, of social injustice and, um, and I was kind of being suffocated and saying, you know, people saying, can you just rap for us? We really don't want anything else except the music. And uh, that was probably the first time that I, I felt suffocated and I couldn't be my authentic self. And I think you did a lot of healing along the way, at least for other people. You shared parts of your story along the way for others' benefit, but it wasn't necessarily for your own personal healing. And I really appreciated your discussion in the book, just your very candid discussion of the physical, emotional, and sexual abuse that you experienced all before the age of 10 but that really you didn't recognize its effects until you had your own children. And why do you think that experience of having your own kids brings everything to the forefront? You know, it's interesting because when you're an adult, you you're cognizant that you once were a kid, but you don't see yourself as with the same level of innocence and, and gullibility uh, that your own kids have. And so it wasn't until I saw my kids when I was able to imagine them experiencing the abuse and mm. the neglect that I experienced at their age. I just am like, oh, my goodness, that that's traumatizing. I can't imagine that happening to a child. And then I'm like, oh, wow, that happened to me. And um, mm. and it didn't happen to adult Lecrae, even though adult Lecrae is processing it. It happened to little kid Lecrae who didn't have the skills to process any of those particular things. And I think as a child, that's why you do feel so vulnerable because you don't have a way out of that. And I appreciated your discussion of all of it that, you know, throughout the abuse that you had experienced, it wasn't necessarily your choice to say, okay, that's it. I'm out because you were a kid. Where were you going to go? How could you make a decision to be otherwise? And I love how you talked about reading the body keep score as a psychologist. I actually recommend that a lot to my patients who have been through trauma. And I thought that that was such a great discussion because you talked about this idea of feeling like you were at war with yourself, that you were terrified that other people would find out that you were just as flawed and human as they were. And I think that's so relatable because so many people talk about this concept of imposter syndrome and sometimes the most successful people in our society have that feeling, but yours comes from a place of trauma on top of everything else. So tell me about that experience of reading that book and how it really shed some light on your experiences. Yeah. Oh my goodness. The, the book was phenomenal. Um, you know, the, the, the way I think it shed light, well, first it's going to shed light. It shed light for me because you're, you're hearing about other people who experience things that you have experienced. So you don't feel alone. You, you, you recognize that not only is this, are you not alone, but this is something that people are studying and researching and looking for viable solutions for. So on one end of the spectrum of, of it was helpful for me because it 
reminded me that people are are in this boat with me, but that it also was encouraging because it it helped me realize that, man, imagine where we'll be 20 years from now, hopefully further down the line in, in terms of scientific um, developments. Um, and so, you know, I was just able to relate uh, to the stories I heard. I think um, realizing that trauma is something that may happen to you as a child, but it's not like a scrape on your knee that that you you move on from. It's like it healed and you move on. Your body doesn't see that trauma as happening 10 years ago. It just knows that trauma happened. And mm-hmm. so it's if you don't fully get to process it, um, then it still has effects on you. And so for me, I think what I experienced as a child, I hadn't fully processed. And so it affected me in the things that happened to me as an adult. I did not have the coping skills to deal with because of what happened to me as a child. That's right. And that is one of the most profound things I found about the book, too, is that you basically can hold trauma in parts of your body, even if there are no words to describe it. Mm -hmm. And that for somebody who's experiencing trauma at a young age, you don't always have the words to describe it even if you wanted to, because you were a kid. And so as you're working your way through life, as you're working your way through finding a new community, because the community that you grew up with maybe wasn't the most solid, it was chaotic. So you found religion. And what better place to build a new family? It's a community built around God. But what I love about what you said, Lecrae, and I think we all should remember this, is that religion is man-made and clearly has a lot of flaws. And sometimes the chaos that lurks in churches is so much more astounding than maybe just out in the community that's an atheist community or just agnostic one. So can you talk a little bit about how you found that new family at first with church? And then when you started to feel like maybe this wasn't that unconditional love you were hoping for after all? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, when, when you when you talk about religion, you're essentially saying rules to find acceptance, you know, trying to find acceptance mm. in a community or acceptance in, with God. And, and I think for me, though, I would have, I would have probably told you, no, I don't, I'm loved here. I don't have to follow rules to be accepted. I was living the exact opposite of that. I was trying to jot all the, the I's and cross all the T's in order to make sure I was loved and accepted, which was further traumatic to me instead of realizing that a relationship with God is not about trying to impress people or impress him or whatnot. It was more about functioning out of understanding my own value and my worth and not trying to gain value and gain worth. Um, and, and then I think the problem, and, and, you know, it's not limited to one religion. Um, the problem with, with any type of spirituality in these circumstances is that when you're dealing with, um, the brain, oftentimes people just think of it as metaphysical or just exclusively spiritual and not as an an organ. They don't think about neuroplasticity or the the brain's ability to heal and change itself. You know, if someone were to say, man, I'm a little overweight, no one would say, just pray, pray the weight off. You'll be fine. You know, they would tell you physically, tangibly what you need to do. But when you say, man, I'm feeling depressed, Oh, just pray it away. I'm, I'm, I'm anxious. Pray it away, and not realizing, no, that that's an organ. That there's tactics and techniques that can be used to help heal, heal you. 
I'm really appreciative of the part in the book where you talk about this further. And by the way, you're such a thoughtful and articulate writer. I really enjoyed reading your book and just how honest you were in it. As somebody who grew up in the Catholic religion, I know exactly what you're talking about. I see myself as a very spiritual person, but I have issues with how the Catholic Church operates all the time, right? And right. people sometimes don't understand that religion definitely, as you mentioned, has a lot of hierarchy and rules. And for somebody who's looking for that acceptance because you didn't get it in childhood, it makes so much sense that you then go to religion and then yet you're kind of stuck in that same cycle of pleasing people again, trying to prove your worth, trying to be the Lecrae that everybody is comfortable with and the one that everybody wants to put in the spotlight. But then maybe the parts of you with the battle scars, they really didn't want you to show those parts. Right. And I appreciate you saying too that, and of course this isn't everybody who's religious, but I do know that there is a prevailing idea that you should just pray all of your issues away and that somehow mental health is not congruent with religiosity. And of course, here I am as a psychologist, this is my chosen field. And I'm saying it can it can all be helpful. Right, and right. I, lo I love the part <laughs> in the book where you're like talking about this idea of God has all these specialists. Why wouldn't you use all of them for your healing? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. It's it's like uh, <laughs> I, I, I talk about like oftentimes like coaches, you know, yeah. you, you need different types of coaches uh, to play a professional sport. You don't if you, you need a speed coach, you need a hitting coach, you need a there's different types of coaches you need. And it's no different in in our day to day lives. There's specialists for different things. And so um, I think we just el eliminate them from the the fullness of 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 our experience. And I think we you know love to wall off spirituality um, from reality and not figure out how they can be integrated. Instead, we just try to keep them separated. And so I think that that causes a lot of problems instead of thinking through it, like, you know, Hey, I prayed and my prayer was answered because a specialist was made available. <laughs> you know, we're, we're looking for something right. other than that to happen. Right. And I love that you talk about how there is no conflict between our mental and spiritual health. And that that connection doesn't have to be so hard pressed in that here is religion and here is something else. And you can either be in one camp or the other. Mm -hmm. And in fact, you finally for yourself decided that mental health care and that therapy specifically was essential for you to really dig in deep and do the healing that you needed to do. And I would love to talk to you about the self-stigma that happens for you, you know, being somebody who always thought that you could just will yourself out of stuff, pray your way out of things, study theology and find all the answers. And obviously that's not the case, but also as somebody who often work with people from underserved communities, I know that there is also a community stigma among Black families about seeking therapy, that there's some mm -hmm. questions about that and these ideas that maybe that wouldn't be the best thing to do. So how did you overcome all of that? You know, your church community, possibly beliefs in the Black community about mental health care to be able to take that step and tell everybody about it? Oh, man, um, that's another book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's actually this book. Um, it, it is a... It, there's so many hurdles. Um, and, and oftentimes people will ask, you know, how are you able to overcome these stigmas and, 
and these hurdles. And, um, and unfortunately they were, those hurdles became a part of the problem, right? They, they drove me into, um, more anxiety and depression, um, because of those hurdles. Um, I believe the lie that I was less of a man because I was going to see a therapist and, and because I, I, I feel like I can't will myself out of this. Um, I am breaking these standards that I created for myself, which is driving me further into depression because I'm telling myself, you are a horrible guy. You don't, Mm -hmm. you can't even fix this. You can, and you know, I'm, and now I'm panicking because I can't fix it, which is causing anxiety. (laughs) And it just became this, this, you know, disoriented madness. Um, and it's almost like, it was almost like trying to tame a wild horse, mm-hmm. you know, where you're like, just, just come here, just come here. And so, you know, I'm, I'm coming into the counselor's <laughs> office, I'm coming into the therapist's office and it's like, now talk about it. All right, let me tell you this. And building that rapport and that trust and then hearing some, some tools and tactics and things that began to work. You know, I tried so many different things, um, you know, um, and realizing that, wow, that actually worked like, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, you know, and, and you calm down and you're more open to the process because you're seeing the results of it and you're seeing the, the transformation. And, um, and then you begin to get over the stigma because you realize it's too effective. It's like when you, when you know it's working, you you don't care anymore what anybody has to say, because you're like, no, I don't care what you have to say. This works. So. I love that story because it's all about just being brave enough to take that first step and not needing to have all the answers. And as you're going through the process and it's working, like you said, then that stigma fades away because it's secondary to all the gains that you're making. And I thought that you made a very bold step for somebody who clearly as a way maybe to manage the trauma has become such an overachiever, such a workaholic. You're so defined by your success and people define you by your success. And maybe prior to the healing, that's how you defined yourself too. That's how you really felt you had worth. And you took an extended sabbatical from your work to focus on self-care and your healing. Yeah. And I'm sure that was very surprising to a lot of people and maybe even surprising for you. Maybe you never even thought that you would get to that place where you would just say, oh, no, we're not booking anything and we're just going to focus on this. So sure. tell me about that journey, those four months where you just literally put your work completely to the side and try to find out who you were in a different way. Yeah. Um, you know, initially there was a bit of shame um, because I, I felt like, you know, I'm less of a person because I have to to call it off. I have to back out of this. Um, and so there was, there was shame, but there, but then there's just also a sense of, um, of need, overwhelming need to where you're in such bad shape, you know, there's no way around it. It's kind of like that, that pro athlete. And he's like, no coach, I can, I can play, I can play. And then he tries to stand up and he just collapses. And it's like, kid, you got to sit this one out. And, and that's where I was mentally. It, it was like, I, I, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And it was like, no, I can't. I can't do it. Um, I just remember being, you know, so just mentally taxed um, and just kind of ebbing and flowing in, in like, 
in a depression and in coming out of the depression and in, in an anxiety, you know, anxious and having panic attacks. And, and it was, I mean, it's just so difficult that I knew I had to, to pause and, um, I was forced to, and, and probably the first month was more just wrapping my hands around what was happening to me, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And just like, what is going on? Um, but the, the latter months was where you come to grips with the reality that, oh, I, like my, my mental state was like a, a wet paper towel and it finally had too much on it to where it snapped, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I had to do some, some self work to figure out why is my paper towel wet? You know, like everyone else is dry. Why is mine wet? Well, there's childhood trauma. There's too much stuff going on in your world right now. There's coping mechanisms that are unhealthy. And that was the process for me that just took me on this journey. And it's really about not looking for that quick fix anymore, which of course it makes sense that you would. Because yeah. the trauma is so deep and the hurt is so great that you just want to make it better, even if it causes more problems later. And that's what you were referring to with the unhealthy coping. I love in the book that you describe therapy as a place of pruning and breaking. If you're doing self-development right, it is painful. It takes a lot of energy. But at the same time, you were stepping into it because your soul craved the healing. And I love that you said that your parched soul felt like it was drinking a tall glass of water every time you went to therapy. I really do think that that is such a great analogy for how therapy should feel for people that sometimes you don't even know that you need it. And then you go to the session and you're like, oh, I guess I did need it. (laughs) Like That was really helpful for me. So what were some of the other things that you discovered during the healing process that were good for you to continue to do and keep still in your lifestyle now? Yeah. So now I, uh, once a week, I have a restorative day, you know, a day dedicated to not doing anything, um, mm-hmm. where the, the, the only thing on the agenda is something restorative, you know, whether that is, you know, most of the time I'll, I'll, I'll spend an hour in meditation. And so, um, I used to be a lot more vigilant about my meditation. I was like daily meditation. Um, I think that's what tends to happen once you start healing, you don't become as vigilant. So I need to get back to being as vigilant as I once was. Um, But but I definitely do it once a week for a good hour. Um, You know, uh, different types of, of, you know, whether that's going to a, a massage or whether that is, you know, stretching or yoga. Um, but a Thursday during a week for me, oftentimes, uh, is that, um, outside of that, you know, it's, it's, it's journaling, writing things down is very helpful, um, uh, for your mind and, and helping you process. Um, I'll do a lot of breathing exercises and then I, I, I try to think about what I'm thinking about. Um, oftentimes your thoughts run away and, um, This happened to me not too long ago where, you know, when the pandemic hit and it was just kind of like my brain just started thinking about all of these negative outcomes that could happen. And then I had to stop myself and say, okay, let's think about what you're thinking about. Like, what are you thinking about? Oh, you're thinking about all this stuff. Okay. Is that true? No. Mm -hmm. Is, are you sure? Yes. I'm sure it's not true. Are you fortune telling or prophesying? Yes, I am. Okay. Let's stop that because you don't know the future, which is causing all this stuff to happen. And so those are some practices that I, I took away um, in, in that exercise. 
I love those practices. And a lot of them are rooted in the concepts of cognitive behavioral therapy, which is one of my favorite kinds of therapy. And it really helps you to manage the thoughts that come up, the ones mm. that are lying to you. And you talked also in the book about how shame is a big liar and it can just hold you in this horrible place for so many years and, and cause you to look for external validations for your own self-esteem. And I think you describe this all throughout the book that maybe there are people in the religious community who are very well-intentioned and yet everybody's looking for their validation. You know, the people who are putting their standards on you, that's really about them. And so it's all these wounded people trying to make sense of how they were going to please each other and themselves and, and put away their own shame. But this idea of unconditional love, I was very moved in the book when you finally broke down and told your wife about everything, confessed to her about all of your thoughts, you know, your anger, your frustration, your ideas about maybe wanting to leave her, your poor coping skills. And what I thought was so remarkable, of course, is that at the end of that, she affirmed you. She affirmed you when you felt like you, what you called soul bile, which I thought was a really good <laughs> description. <laughs> and after all that, she said, I still love you. And she loved you. Like you said, that you felt like you were at your worst and your most undesirable. And she embraced you. Tell me what that moment was like and how that's helped you to embrace yourself from the inside. Oh man. Um, it was a, it was a very powerful moment. You know, I, I think, um, for me, it, especially in my faith journey, you know, not having um, my father around kind of marred the way I saw the world, marred the way I saw faith and relationships. Um, because in my mind, if I mess up, he leaves, which he mm -hmm. did. Right. And, mm -hmm. and um, also some of the physical abuse I experienced as a child, you know, if I mess up, it ends very bad for me. And so those are some ideals that I took into faith, like, oh, if I mess up, lightning is going to strike me dead right here. And then it took it into my relationship uh, with my wife. Whereas if I'm totally real with you, you're going to leave me like my dad did, or, mm. you know, I'm, it's going to be very bad for me. And, and I would just say, man, she painted such a beautiful picture of love for me and consistency. And it was so healing for me because it, it's honestly... Woo, I could tear up right now, but I'm not going to. I'm gonna, yeah. <laughs> but honestly, it's the first relationship I've ever had where somebody saw me in all of who I was, in all of the the, the negative stuff about me, and said, I'm not going anywhere. Um, I'm gonna stay right here. And they didn't try to fix me, they just faced me. And so I think, you know, no discredit mm -hmm. to any of the wonderful grandmother, mother in my life. But I did so much manicuring of myself in front of them. So they never got to see some sides of me for them to even be able to say, it's okay, sweetheart. Um, but with my wife, it was like, all right, gloves off. No mm -hmm. more manicured version of me. This is who I am and how, you know, soul bile. <laughs> yeah. And she said, um, and I still love you. Oh. Blew me away. Yeah. Yeah. So. I really love that moment in the book. 
And thank you so much for sharing it again here with me. And another really powerful moment in the book, and this really makes me think about the concept of intergenerational trauma. You talked about fatherlessness, what that does to people, but it wasn't your whole story. Although, like you said, it did cause a lot of rifts in your life and, and really turned your attachment to one of avoidance. You talked about yourself being an avoidance specialist and keeping yourself together and, and backing away, maybe isolating these not so great parts of yourself. And I'm using great in quotes because that's your perception of what's not great about you. But yet that intergenerational trauma doesn't have to keep happening because I love the part of the book where you're hanging out with your kids and your son says, dad, I want to be like you. And that really struck me. And it was just produced such a visceral emotional reaction for me, because as you said in the book, trauma doesn't have to be a hindrance to your purpose. It could be a step towards living your purpose. So talk about that moment too, as a father, hearing that from your son and having him look up to you with all of the mistakes that all of us can make and all of the things that you were thinking were your ghosts and skeletons in the closet. And yet here's your son just saying something so beautifully. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think um, that's the whole picture of, of what it means to be restored, um, which is, you know, why I said, call the book, I'm restored. Obviously restoration is a journey. It's not necessarily a destination, but I think you, once you're on that journey, um, you're in that process of, of being restored. And that's what my son, what my son experienced. He, he I would have never been the person that he said, I want to be like, had I not embraced all of my flaws, all of my trials, all of, all of, all of my tribulations, because there, there was no triumph without the trial. You know, if I didn't go through that cocoon, I couldn't emerge as a butterfly. And he's looking at this butterfly but there's no way he could be in awe of butterfly dad if I don't go through the painful process of that of that cocoon and transformation. So, you know, my, my encouragement to anybody out there uh, is to embrace it because it's it's part of your story. Whatever it is that you've gone through or whatever it is that you're going through, face it, um, work through it and own that because that's a part of who you are and it, and it's going to make you great. It's going to make you who someone else is, is admires and, um, and strives to, to be like, because they've seen you overcome insurmountable odds and they enjoy that aspect of you. So I guess, long story short, every time I experience a wonderful person full of just joy and, and, and positivity, um, I'm always reminded that, that, they may have gone through something to to create that in them. And I'm grateful. Maybe they didn't experience something traumatic to make them that type of person, but maybe somebody else did to mold them into that person. And um, and so I'm just grateful for anybody whose trials and tribulations have made themselves and others better. And I think through that journey, you become a truly authentic person who has self-concept and self-worth from something internal rather than what's going on in the world around you. Yes, so, yes, yes, yes. You, you, intrinsically, you, your, your value and your worth are not predicated on what you do. I always say success is not what I do compared to others. Success is what I do compared to what I was made to do. And mm -hmm. so I'm not comparing myself to this 
external kind of a playing field, these imaginary lines that we've drawn. Um, the, I, I'm not, I am, I am functioning in a healthy way, um, that has, and, and that value system is not predicated on something that I've created or you've created. And I think that that is a really huge takeaway for people, because again, in our society, everybody is thinking about achievement, what it looks like on the outside, but none of that matters until you get good with what's happening on the <laughs> inside. So yeah. everybody's got to go pick up a copy of your book. I am restored how I lost my religion, but found my faith. Not only is it a great personal story about everything that you've been through, not your whole life, but, you know, a section of your life that sure. you chose to focus on in this book. But you also give such great guidelines and practical advice, I think, for anybody, whether they've been through trauma or going through difficulty or just don't feel right with themselves. I think it's such an uplifting book that gives you practical takeaways you can start implementing today. Lecrae, we haven't even gotten to talking about so many of the other things that you're up to. You're always working still, even despite now knowing that you have restful days. You're still so busy. You have so much social activism. You're always doing something to help other people. What's a project that you're really excited about right now? Oh, I'm really excited about uh, the community of English Ave in Atlanta, just the west side of Atlanta. Um, just being able to, to work uh, on the west side of Atlanta. Um, we've got a school established there, Peace Preparatory Academy. We've got um, uh, affordable housing uh, created there, which is teaching people financial literacy and helping develop them. Um, we have you know, businesses that are flourishing over on the west side of Atlanta. I get to work with um, some great organizations, some great other uh, artists and entrepreneurs such as T.I. and Killer Mike. And, um, and so it's, it's all been just a very uh, exciting thing to to do, to just give my time, my talents and my treasures to something bigger than myself. And for the kids over there uh, who are facing some of the generational trauma um, that mm -hmm. I had to face, just to have somebody over there who can, uh, you know, show them a pathway and mm -hmm. be a, a guide for them is it, it does my, my heart joy. Mentors is everything. And the fact that you're able to be mentors to these kids shows them that a different path is possible. So yeah. thank you so much for everything you are doing for yourself and for the world, Lecrae. And where can people find out more information about you? Yeah, make sure you go to Lecrae.com, L-E-C-R-A-E.com and uh, find out all things Lecrae. And then definitely follow me on social media. I'll actually take people somewhere. Follow me, uh, Lecrae, L-E-C-R-A-E. <laughs> Well, I'm so excited to continue to follow you in your journey and see what's going on next. And again, everybody needs to pick up a copy of this brilliant book, I Am Restored. Thank you so much for your time and for your very thoughtful conversation today, Lecrae. I appreciate it. It's an honor. Thank you. Thank you. And stay tuned for my supercharged tips of the day. It's coming up next, so don't go anywhere. All right. I feel so rejuvenated talking to Lecrae. It's like drinking a tall glass of water, like he says about therapy. I really felt like he was such a thoughtful, insightful guest who wasn't afraid to be honest and really talk about the things that held him back, but also talk about the process of healing. It's obviously a journey that we don't 
complete. We're going to be doing it throughout our lives to improve ourselves and to find what works. And today's supercharged secret is all about developing an internal self-concept and really discovering your true self. And here are my top five tips on how to do this. The first thing is to create sacred time for contemplation and reflection. This is a huge thing for people who are self-professed workaholics like Lecrae. You're so busy working on all your achievements and your projects, and maybe they come from a really good place in your heart, but then it doesn't leave enough time for you to sit, to think about the things that are going on inside of you, and to think about what you really need instead of what society needs from you, what your family needs from you, what your community needs from you. So really creating and setting aside that sacred time for contemplation and reflection. Lecrae still does it. He has sort of one day of restoration, as you heard. He spends time journaling, meditating, just giving that space. It doesn't even mean that you have to go in there with any presuppositions or goals. In fact, maybe it's better that you don't. Just give yourself maybe 20 minutes to start a day just to sit and have no agenda and see what comes up. It's really not that scary. And in fact, it's very, very helpful and a lovely practice. The second tip is to stop comparing yourself to others and not define your worth based on external validation. I know that is easier said than done. It's so common that we would compare ourselves to everything that's going on around us. And sometimes we look at what other people have achieved and we think, wow, that means that I haven't achieved anything. But stop doing that because you are unique and you are on your own path. There truly isn't anybody on this earth like you. So celebrate that truth. The only person you should compare yourself to is your previous self. And so don't measure yourself against somebody else's yardstick. If you want to keep improving, think about how far you've come in your own journey, because everybody's journey is different. And comparing yourself to others oftentimes just brings you down and leads to more self-sabotaging actions rather than things that heal you and move you forward. The third tip is to give yourself unconditional love and practice that same love with the people that you care about. What does that really mean? Well, unconditional love means that you accept yourself and other people as they are with all of their mistakes, all of their warts, all of their problems. But it doesn't mean that you don't challenge yourself to self-improve. Unfortunately, when our self-esteem is low or shaky, we're likely to damage it even further by being overly self-critical. So it's not about the self-criticism or the negative thoughts that you keep telling yourself. It's about taking responsibility for your mistakes, acknowledging them, but still having compassion for you as a human being and as a person. One of my favorite ways to work on this is a type of guided meditation called loving kindness meditation, where we really hone these ideas of having compassion, not only for yourself, but for the people around you. So I have done several versions of this loving kindness meditation on my Instagram, and you can find that on my IGTV, but you can also just Google loving kindness meditation and all of these free videos on YouTube will pop up anywhere between three minutes to 20 minutes where you can start to incorporate this into your daily practice. I really recommend it. The fourth tip is to enact 
firmer boundaries. If you want to develop an internalized self-concept that isn't subject to the whims of what other people are saying and doing, then you need to have boundaries for yourself, healthy boundaries, knowing that you are not what you tell yourself or what somebody else thinks about you. And if there is somebody in your life who constantly criticizes you and makes you feel bad about yourself, have firm boundaries with them. If you must have them in your life, maybe they're a family member or coworker, so you can't just get rid of them. Just really conserve your energy and limit the amount of time that you spend with them. And I think that that is such an important piece of this because oftentimes when our self-esteem is not solid, we look externally for that reinforcement, somebody to tell you that you're okay. But what happens then is that you start to have this very permeable boundary between who you are and what everybody else is to you. So really make sure that you start to use the word no more often. It's okay to set time limits in terms of how much time you want to give somebody or how much time you want to spend with them. And if somebody is constantly negative, get used to this idea of in one year and out the other. You can hear them, but that does not mean that you have to take that in and make that part of you. The last tip is to use affirmations correctly. If you want to develop a solid self-concept, affirmations can help, but a lot of times people use affirmations in a problematic way. And what I mean by that is that sometimes people think they should just go all the way positive with their affirmations, like, I'm going to be a great success. Yes, that sounds good, but there's one huge problem. If you're already not feeling good about yourself, that type of overly positive affirmation might actually make you feel worse. Why? Because when your self-esteem is low, those declarations are simply so contrary to your existing beliefs that your mind is just not going to process it. So really for affirmations to really work for you on a day that you're not feeling good, you got to tweak them to make them a bit more believable. So bring them back to earth a little bit. For example, you can change, I'm going to be a great success to, I'm going to keep working at it until I reach my goal. And in that way, you're also honoring the process, the process of working at something rather than I am a success already and I'm going to be a great success no matter what. It's really about you having the perseverance and the resilience to keep trying even in the face of adversity. And I love that Lecrae really highlighted this in our interview. He talks about his trauma healing and his self-development as a process. It's something that he's constantly reevaluating and constantly thinking about how he can get better at it every day. And that is a great take-home message for all of you. And if you use affirmations that are more process-focused and a bit more realistic, you're really going to find that it really helps you to fine-tune a more internalized self-concept that is resilient to whatever is going on around you on a given day. Well, thank you all for listening to this episode of Supercharged Life. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, download, and tell your friends. You can also follow me at Dr. Judy Ho on social media. And if you guys have any questions for me that you would like me to answer on the next podcast, we've been doing a lot of Ask Dr. Judy podcasts. They've been really popular and I think people have been finding them very helpful. So please comment at me on social media. Let me know what questions you have and I will try to answer it on an upcoming episode. I'm Dr. Judy. Now go supercharge your life. 
This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast does not constitute medical, psychological, or professional advice, do not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. For medical, psychological, or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician, a psychologist, or other trained professional. For more information, please go to stage29.tv.